All right, what's your guys' favorite space movie? Uh, my favorite space movie is uh, uh, Star Wars uh, Phantom Menace. Next. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Look, I ruined it already. <laughs> That's not even true. Everybody just turned the episode off. Yeah, yeah, everybody just you're going to catch some shit now. <laughs> I don't read it, Kyle. Yeah. I'll never know. <laughs> I'm going to be offended on Terry's behalf. <laughs> yeah. What's yours? Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. I mean, yeah. It's, it, it, I, I got a soft spot in my heart for Kubrick. Did you read it? No, I didn't actually. It's so much better than the movie, and the movie's fucking phenomenal. All right. Um, I don't know. There's so fucking much of it. Uh, Spaceballs. Oh, that's a good choice. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No. Which is probably the closest to an actual D&D campaign out of every other movie in existence. <laughs> really? Never seen it. <laughs> what? What? Have you been living under a rock? I don't know. I didn't know that was like an essential movie to see. Well, it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> by the next time we hang out, you better watch it by then. Okay. But cancel the next recording. We're going to educate Terry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no recording. I'll show up with notes and I'll just be stick that movie on. <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic Podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic Podcast, where we continue our conversation on playable races in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I am Terry, and with me today are Kyle and Adam, and this episode is called UFO Races Unusual Fantasy Origins. I hate the word or- origins. I always say oranges. <laughs> well, I've never done that before, but I feel like now I will. Yeah. In this episode of the It's a Mammoth podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters will be sitting down to look at three new playable races, or lineages, as Wizards of the Coast calls them now, from the new Spelljammer campaign setting. But instead of new humanoids, players have the opportunity to latch onto a kind of playable construct or ooze or monstrosity. So, one of the big online complaints about these kind of player options is that a number of spells specifically state that they only affect humanoids, and they won't affect these playable races now. So, as a DM, do you homebrew it so that spells will work on any PC, or do you just keep it rules as written? Let's uh, let's roll. Let's roll. There we go. Couldn't find the hole. There we go. I got a two. I got oh, a twelve. One. Um, I am absolutely going to tell people in session zero that this will still affect your players, or like your, your characters. Um, with the exception of the sleep shit for elves, which again, I hate, it's unnecessary, the, the can't magically be put to sleep. I'm like, I thought this for the Fae, for the Herringon and the, the fairy as well that you can play, like just have it be able to affect shit. And if you're not going to do that, then give them a weakness. Because mm-hmm. as it stands now, humanoids are by far the worst thing to choose now. And now you're just going to end up with all these crazy fucking bullshit um, lineages, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. For me, what I do is go with whatever is easier for me as the DM to work around. Because every time you change something, there's ripple effect and it means you got to change something else, change something else. It's the easier option for me as the DM is to say, these, uh, these spells will affect all of the player characters still, no matter what. Are we all in agreement with that? That means fewer things for me to change later on, fewer loopholes. As long as the team agrees with that right from the start, then that, then that's my decision. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is I'm sitting there looking like, okay, if it's a construct that doesn't need to breathe, for example, then I feel like I need to... They chose that for a reason, so they want to see that more often. 
So I have to have poison clouds and underwater shit more often in my homebrew campaign that I wasn't planning on having, mm. just so they can feel rewarded for for playing that kind of character. Which again is them dictating shit that I wasn't I wasn't prepared to do. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, or if you're casting spells, you can choose what you're targeting, right? Like especially if it's like an area of effect, like I'm only going for constructs, or I'm only going for oozes, or I'm only going for monstrosities. I really like that. Yeah. Okay, but before we get any deeper into this, let's cut to an ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on player options in 5th edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week on the It's a Mimic Patreon, we finally get to kick off the relaunch of the Campaign Builder. The first episode back takes a look at what it means for your party to be local folk heroes. The fame, the rumor, and the responsibilities. Joining me for all of Level 6 is Tyler who even managed to rework the theme music to sound a little prettier and a little more on brand. And for Patreon subscribers, make sure you listen to the Variant episode where Dan and I tackled the same issue way back in 2020. This really does highlight the difference between DMs and inspirations, and you can see how Tyler brings a new, fresh perspective to the conversation. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. Okay, let's kick it off then with an overview of what we're going to discuss today. So I'll start with a brief explanation of space fantasy as a genre. So space fantasy is is a hybrid genre within speculative fiction that kind of simultaneously draws upon, uh, it combines tropes and elements from both science fiction and fantasy. So in conventional science fiction, the world is still presented as being scientifically logical. If you think of, let's use um, Stargate is probably a good example of this. Uh, while to, to our knowledge, the things that happen within Stargate, the Stargates themselves, are not yet possible, or we don't understand how they would be possible, but the they're expressed as being scientifically logical. Where in a conventional fantasy story, uh, the, most of these subjects are covered as being mostly supernatural or, or artistic in their element. And they disregard that the scientific laws of the real world. The world of space fantasy, however, is laid out to be scientifically logical and often supplied with hard science-like explanations of any supernatural elements. And we can explain this further uh, as we discuss Spelljammer. So Spelljammer is a campaign setting which was originally published for the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, that's second edition, uh, which features a fantastic, as opposed to scientific, outer space environment. The Spelljammer ships are open-topped like regular kind of you know, old They're galleons. Galleons, yeah. that's, yeah, that's it exactly. But the, so that seems uh, fantastic that they will be flying through space, but there is a science kind of adjacent answer in that they somehow, uh, you know, have their own gravity field, and that is what means that everybody can kind of stand on the deck and walk around in space. So the Spelljammer setting is designed to allow the unusual sword and sorcery adventures of Dungeons and Dragons to take place within the framework of outer space. It also comes with its own set of new rules for the 5th ed edition introduction of Spelljammer. You will see rules for ship encounters, 
ship to ship starting distances from you know how these encounters will go or what weapons can be included uh, based on the distance that the encounter starts from. New rules for crashing the spelljammer ships, uh, shipboard tasks such as uh, cleaning the captain's boots or cleaning the barnacles off the off the uh, off the hull. Big barnacles off the. Di- Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> Certain uh, ship quirks, like perhaps your cargo hold is haunted by a very friendly ghost, those kinds of quirks. And then uh, different types of ship cargo and how to deal with that, whether it's regular cargo or expensive cargo, uh, whatever it may be. So we have a whole bunch of new rules. Okay, let's roll initiative first. I've got a couple of questions for you guys here. Sure. Can't find the hole again, huh, Terry? They don't know what happened. Uh, Yeah, Kyle got a 15. He's first. I'm going to last with an 8. Okay, let's stick with that order then. My first question, Kyle, to you first. Are you interested in playing Spelljammer? In playing the Spelljammer campaign setting? If someone came up to me and was like, hey, you want to play in my campaign? I would say yes. But am I going to go out looking for it or start a campaign? Mm, Unlikely. What's the reason that it's unlikely? I'm I'm quite happy with, you know fantasy universes i don't need to add space into it sure uh i think i have the same answer you know it's uh i'm not going to actively go out and look for it uh it'll when it happens it'll happen i'm excited for it but uh, currently for my own kind of uh, gaming right now i'm all set uh but i would like to play yeah i have been um vocal in the past it's been a while it's probably been like 100 episodes but i've vocally said like on this podcast keep your magic out of my fucking science fiction and vice versa <laughs> i don't i don't like the mind flayer ray guns and shit that has popped up in the underdark and st- like it just it feels thematically fucking weird even though it is traditional for D to do this it's not my fantasy mm-hmm. but i did a lot of thinking about it before this this campaign setting came out these three weird books that they gave us and i'm like i really liked star wars as a kid like, I really fucking like Star Wars as a kid. And I have dug into Doctor Who and Battlestar Galactica and um, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. Like, right. I've I've messed with a little bit of this. I mean, is Thor magic or is he science? Magic? Is he? Because it's all just fucking strange alien metals and long-lived alien lives and, and teleporting through special portals. to Like, it's, it's not magic like Doctor Strange is. He runs around with the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? So, like, there have been things that have blended it in the past, and I'm not... It's not my favorite, but I've definitely accepted it without really complaining. So, yeah, I do this. But, again, if I'm going to play a pirate campaign... I want it to be Yar Pirate, not Pew Pew Pirate, right? Right. Yeah. But that's just me. If somebody said, hey, I'm going to run a one-shot, six-shot, 12-shot, three-year campaign, I'd be like, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. I'll never turn down a game. Yeah. However, am I going to clamor for it? Probably not. Like, maybe they find a ship so they can go up into space in my homebrew for three episodes, and then the ship crashes back where they were. Yeah. That's how you got to the other continent right like i'll dabble but i'm not gonna well that leads me on to the next question so kyle you first are you going to allow your players to introduce one of these new bizarre pieces of law into an established adventure such as curse of strahd tomb of annihilation Um, i would lean towards no but i am open to it if you can give me a good enough explanation about how it got there and it will work in whatever setting i'm doing then yeah i'll I'll allow it but i mean i'm gonna say 20 percent chance of saying yes (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm yeah, I'm kind of in agreement in that I like the whole judo concept concept of you push, I pull. Uh, however, with the spelljammer law, that's that's one of the sets of law where it's going to be the real kind of elephant in the room. Like it's once you pull that in, it's there. Like how do you get rid of it again? I mean, Adam said you crash the spaceship and they can't access it. But if you mm. give those guys a fucking ray gun. They're going to hold onto that ray gun for them. Good luck trying to get that yeah. thing away from them. Well, you give them a certain amount of uses. So it's like you got three shots with it. And there are rules for the ray guns, too. Like, they have specific rules. Uh, I'm trying to remember which fucking book it was that gave us all that fucking crazy-ass mind flared uh, nonsense. I think it was Icewind Dale gave us, like, the gnomes, the squidlings, and the cellomorphs. The it's been a while. So, um, but, like, that shit exists in those rules for the ray guns. And it is limited. Like, this mm-hmm. shit will malfunction and blow up at some point. Like, and, yeah, okay, that's that's... Fun, that's cool. I'm like, sure, whatever. Honestly, um, yeah, I'm always gonna let people play with this shit, but like within reason. Um, auto gnomes can be from the plane of Mechanus, yeah, or Mechanus, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, Jeff is doing, I know for a fact because I spoke to him about this. Jeff is doing okay. If you're one of Jeff's players, stop listening, <laughs> skip ahead like five minutes. Um, because spoilers, because he told me all about this shit and it's awesome. Um, he had a character who was playing a plasmoid from the UA stuff. Um, but there's no reason for that because he's in a Curse of Strahd campaign. So what they did was they said, you know, this person was found in one of the crypts or tombs or whatever. Um, cause his original character died. So this is a second character coming in. What he doesn't know is that he is the spawn of Dweeblex, the god of ooze and, um, and icky things. So like he is essentially an evil demon lord of slime but doesn't have any recollection of it and is getting more powerful as he goes yeah okay. i'm totally gonna work yeah. that shit into my camp yeah that can work that's awesome so um and thrycreen are already all over the fucking place anyway so yeah i like i'll, I'll do that sure mm-hmm. i mean you gotta bend over backwards too but but there's some cool opportunities if you're open to it yeah i mean uh, honestly some of these you can work into it without the space theme right like yeah. ship to ship starting distances crashing onboard tasks those are all we get a lot of that shit in ghost of salt marsh and this feels like it got um an update mm. and a contradictory in some places and there's a good synergy in other places someone's got to sit down at wizards and be like here are the ship rules hard stop Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the breakdowns of our three lineages that we have today then. I will go first. I will be discussing autonomes. And I just realized this second that you've put me onto a gnome, Adam. All the way through my prep, all the way through everything. The penny never dropped until I just said autonome out loud. Okay, but let's go for it. Okay, I'm all about uh, having my mind changed. Okay, so autonomes are mechanical creatures that travel the unknowns of wild space. They do share a lot of similarities with gnomes uh, for a reason, as they were primarily built by rock gnomes, and now they're off inhabiting wild space. Although they were originally created to serve the gnomes that built them, it is known, it is known, that countless autonomes have struck out on their own after being separated from their creator. Autonomes do resemble gnomes physically. Um, most of them can also speak gnomish, but that isn't um, that that isn't essential. I think it's they get one. I think it's common, right, that they can read, write, and whatever. Maybe an additional language. Um, so it doesn't need to be gnomish. While their external appear- appearances can vary, their internal design can also vary and differ significantly as well. Uh, some of them may have functioning, you know, biological hearts. Some of them may not. Some of them are powered by clockwork. Some of them are a little bit more fantastic. Uh, there's no kind of hard, fast rules. It's just that the, the, the autonome has been created 
by a rock gnome. So hold on a sec. You said they could have like functioning organic hearts, like they're like cyborgs as well? Yes. Cool. Now I'm paying attention because we have brain in a jar already is a thing. Yeah. Or like in D&D where you can just have a disembodied psychic brain sitting in a jar. That That's fucking lore and has been for a while in 5th edition. So I love the idea of just plucking that into an auto-gnome and off he goes. <laughs> At what point does an auto-gnome become a gnome? Though? That's the question, right? Well, when it comes out of a gnome. Okay. Another gnome. Robin Williams. Uh, That's a different one. Uh, I am also more curious about the beating heart that they have in them. Yeah. But like right? it's, it's hydronics, right? Like, yeah. you know, there's pumps and... No, no, no. It says in the description that they like actual hearts. Oh, yeah. Like, not all of them. Like biological... Hi- yeah, I know. They but that yeah. is what I'm more interested in because where did they get the heart? Right. Um, did they have to kill someone right next to the autonome? Because, I mean, like uh, when you're doing a transplant, that thing only lasts for so long. Uh, gentle repose. Okay. They cast gentle repose on the heart. Yeah. They stick it in and they just start... They use literal pumps and tubes inside to get the blood flowing and then, then it starts to beat again. And that's... This is how my artificer would do it. I love how... All of us as D&D players, we say we know that this is a fantastic concept and it's not real life, but still we always try and say, well, how does that even happen? Well, how I'm we just, my mind is whirling <laughs> with the thought of like these rock gnomes ritually sacrificing people, maybe other gnomes. Or maybe a way to keep people alive, like if you're, yeah. you're, you're a spouse oh, died or okay. something, yeah. that's a yeah. way of kind of immortalizing them. Oh, I like the oh, idea though creepy. of, of you, you kill your enemies and recycle their body parts in, so... Every one of you that I kill adds to our numbers. Yeah. That's such an Adam way of thinking. We are legion. Uh, Let's look at some 5th edition uh, lore then. So to give you a little bit of background on autonomes, autonomes have previously existed in uh, in previous editions of D&D, but this is the first time that they've been a playable race. When I think of autonomes, I think of stereotypes such as this. I think of them as being seemingly naive or perhaps rather absent-minded, maybe even kind of lacking empathy. You know, I, I like, I think of like, well, I think of like data from Star Trek and that seems so human or, you know, so humanoid in, in some ways, but really uh, struggles uh, concepts of humanity. And I think it might be the same thing with autonome, especially because they are, they are usually designed with a specific purpose. And I imagine it would be difficult for them to even consider anything outside of that purpose. So they might try and lean into it all the time, even without even realizing it. I think that they would have, um, yeah, a tendency to lead towards their specialization or their original purpose. And because of that, that would likely make their, their reactions and their, pre- and their preferences quite predicted, pre- quite predictable. Uh, I don't think that they would make decisions affected by their mood or, or external influences such as hunger or lack of sleep. So their reactions and their behavior is going to be quite predictable. Do they sleep? They do not sleep. They do not sleep. They, 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 um, they go inactive for a minimum of six hours, but they are considered fully conscious as that is happening. Someone's going to crank the big key on their back. Yeah. Or in on their front. Yeah. <laughs> Just crank it. So for autonomes, one of the major changes the Wizards of the Coast has embraced recently is the move away from the race-specific ability score bonuses. This actually offers more flexibility in selecting the uh, the, the lineage that you want without being limited by the classes that are optimal for the, um, uh, the, the line up well with the race that you've chosen. So you have two options when you're selecting your ability scores. You can now choose to add a plus two to one ability and then add a plus one to another ability. Or the other option is to take a plus one bonus to three different abilities. I mean, 
Sure. Yeah. At this point, I'm done yelling about that. Sure. Yeah. For autonomes, the creature type is a construct. Their lifespan is roughly 500 years. They are all considered to be small, standard walking speed of 30 feet. They have armor casting, so they are encased in thin metal or some other type of durable material. And while they are not wearing armor, the base armor class is 13 plus their dexterity modifier. They're built for success, and this means that they can add a d4 to any one attack roll, ability check, or saving throw that they make, um, and they can and they can do so after seeing the d20 roll, but before the effects of the roll are resolved. So you can use this trait a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you complete a long rest. They are considered to be a healing machine, so that means that if the mending spell is cast onto an auto gnome, you can uh, you can spend a hit die, roll it, and regain a number of hit points equal to your roll plus your constitution modifier. That's pretty awesome. How often can you do that? Yeah, as many, times, as many hit dice as you have. Yeah. Oh, uh, sure. I mean, fuck, why not, right? Well. However, in addition, auto gnomes are also created uh, to still feel the effect of healing magic. So, you know, cure wounds, healing word, mass cure wounds, all of those spells will still work on this, uh, on the, on the auto gnomes. Boo. <laughs> you don't like that? Boo. It's like choose one. Cake and eating it too is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Because of their mechanical nature, this is important to note. You have resistance to poison damage and you are immune to all diseases. And you have advantage on saving throws against being paralyzed or poisoned. You do not need to eat, drink, or breathe. That is is the sound of people jerking off to fucking auto-gnomes because they just became the most powerful fucking thing in the game. You do not need to eat, drink, or breathe out of it. Yeah. Fuck, sure. Sentry's rest is what I mentioned a moment ago, so you spend at least six hours in, in an inactive, motionless state instead of sleeping. In this state, you appear inert, but you remain conscious. Which is so weird. Nothing is ever sneaking up on you when you yeah. sleep ever again. There's well, no more watches, nothing. Well, so many thoughts. Yeah. So many so many complaints. Uh, specialized design. The autonome will gain two, two proficiencies of their choice. Okay, so for some insights about role-playing this race, some people might say it's easy for new players, but I would argue that it's actually very difficult for a new player because the auto-gnome, by design really, would be limited in its emotions, limited in its reactions, limited in its opinions and its preferences. And it is very hard for us as human beings, especially when you're getting uh, you're getting involved in a game, to be like that. And we're supposed to be playing this player character, right? Yeah. And so I... Don't, I don't agree with you on that. I don't think they are a uniform kind of personality, right? Because they're built for different purposes. So they have different strengths, weaknesses, um, different knowledge bases, right? And that is pretty much what personality is. Well, I guess it's how, I mean, it's a difference between R2 and 3PO. Yeah. Right? Like, there are different limitations on every droid. And these are not robots. These are droids. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you can, I'm really getting that feel of them like they have the their personalities they were created by somebody and so on and so forth but they have sentience they can run around their own shit it's weird they don't have a culture there's no they come from rock gnomes yeah. okay great that's an origin what's the what do they do what do they want how do they do what it? do they do when there's a number of them in a room exactly yeah. right is are they are they the borg or are they just more people yeah i i don't know i think of it as a reflection of 
their creator, right? Because it even says, you know, they all bear a resemblance to whoever created them. So I think it means not just in looks, but also in personality. Like they'll take a little bit of that, their creator's personality into them, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know. I I imagine like when the Rock Gnome is creating it, it's like almost imbuing it with a piece of its soul. That would be great if it was an artificer and there was magic. And you have to assume there's magic in this process. Mm -hmm. This is where I start to run into issues because, first of all, it's the first construct we have which just spits in the face of Warforged. Like, when we got Eberron and Warforged came out, traditionally speaking, they don't sleep, eat, breathe, and in previous editions, they were constructs that couldn't heal. You had to use mending in order to heal them, Mm -hmm. right? Which is fine, but I think mending was... uh, first level spell it wasn't a cantrip at that point right so you're blowing spell slots or having to use scrolls in order to heal a warforged up um, but it all this like it doesn't sleep it always watches shit and autonome is just it's, it's just a, a warforged but at least the warforged have a unique weird um culture like they were all built for war but the war has ended. They've only existed as a species for six years. What are they doing now? Mm-hmm. And they're just lost wanderers trying to find their place in society, right? Having zero life experience and only bred for war, what do they do? That's got way more of a plot hook for me than they're like gnomes but made of wood. So they can still heal, but they have all of the upsides of being a construct and none of the downsides. And by the way, make it however you want to make it. It just seems so empty. It's mm-hmm. hollow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, maybe they are hollow. Some of them might be. They're all different on the inside, as are all of us. La, la, la. Okay, here are my insights when it comes to combat tactics. Okay, I think when you have this uh, this mechanical nature where you are, let me just say, it's resistance to poison damage, right? And then it's saving throws, uh, advantage on saving throws against being paralyzed and poisoned, and you do not need to breathe. Uh, I think at this point, you can really fight on your own terms. You know, anyone can go underwater, but we know we can only stay there for so long. You do not need to breathe, right? So you can control, you can fight from wherever you want to fight and kind of Force them to come to you if they need to kill you, using the water as an example. Uh, You can do some kind of kamikaze move and uh, be buried underneath rubble and take the enemy with you. And it's completely fine as long as you survive the bludgeoning damage. Let them suffocate and we'll come dig you out in 10 minutes. You know, it kind of flips around uh, It flips around the combat a lot, I think. You can fight amongst a lot of poisonous mushrooms because it likely won't bother you for a little bit. My second insight is that I think it becomes your job to become the obvious target where you can be. You're running distraction. If you're getting saving throws against all of this stuff and you don't need to, to breathe and, and the paralyzed thing, whatever, uh, it's essentially your job to make sure that that enemy creature targets you first and nobody else. So everybody essentially gets a free round when you're running off in front of the... Uh, the green dragon or whatever poisonous creature because you want them to try and attack you first. So become the obvious target to take the heat off of everybody else. I don't know if you guys want to weigh in on anything there that kind of came to mind. Well, I mean, they're obviously going to be martial classes, right? Like, it yeah. leans into that because you can be front row and it's... There's a lot of poison shit out there in D&D. Um, a lot of stuff that's immune to poison, but a lot of stuff that does poison yeah. as well. So, I mean, that makes a certain amount of sense. You're going to want to be on watch, right? You're going to be the person on watch. So, do you have dark vision? I'm assuming, of course, you do because it's 5th edition. Oh, I can't. No, you that don't. Be, it's not. It doesn't mention dark vision. Well, shit. All right. I am all over that. That that rebalances it a little bit in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, Because now you are holding... I I wish you were susceptible to fire. Yeah. Well, they're metal. They're not wood. Then lightning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
be susceptible to something. You have all of these bonuses. There's a little spell called Heat Metal. Well, there's that too, right? But I mean, now you're just a hot autonome. And a, I mean, yeah, you can run and grab people. And frankly, I'm I'm, all, I'm already all over hot gnomes anyway. So. Well, the, the thing that bugs me is like the the two classes they would clearly be best at is barbarian and monk, right? With their natural AC. You add on the dex bonus plus the constitution or your wisdom, right? Like, that thing's practically invincible. It's a great frontline fighter, but it is a fucking little doll. It doesn't thematically make sense to me. I think that these guys were originally, and bear with me on this, their constructs and their gnomes, they're clearly inspired by lawn gnomes. And that is the original joke that has been lost in four editions. Mm. I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah. Like, that's, I mean, but they're space. Sure, okay, that's how we've justified it. But in my head, these guys are lawn gnomes. I love the idea of a barbarian freaking autonome too, because it's not even raging. It's just kill mode on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I love the flavor of the eyes change. Yeah, yeah right. turn <laughs> I am enraged. <laughs> I, I, but I mean, still... Again, why why are these small creatures getting 30-foot movement for no reason? This just has no downsides to it, and mm-hmm. I hate that. I want there to be yeah, weird quirks, right? 30-feet movement, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's roll initiative again. Once we've decided the order, I shall ask the question. I got a natural 20. I got a 19. Kyle's going last oh! with a 17. Well, shit, that's, that's how the cookie crumbles there. That's all right. Saving the best for last. Sure. <laughs> sure. Right. Both know I'm it's still true. making these jokes yeah. out of hundreds of episodes later. All right, Terry, talk to yourself. I will talk to myself. <laughs> I want to know everybody's thoughts on quests, uh, quest inspiration. I'll start with myself because I rolled the highest. I like the idea of being of the autonome being built to complete a special mission, a specific mission. But maybe for whatever reason, maybe there's a glitch or whatever the reason is. I was they... built only to love. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and anything impeding that mission by the autonomes understanding is automatically evil because it is preventing them from doing whatever their purpose was. So to the autonome, that would be perhaps be considered evil. But if they don't know where they came from or what their purpose is, I would like over the course of the campaign for them to maybe, uh, maybe be revealed that their purpose was either to support the big bad or aid the big bad's mission in some way. And so as we start to get this challenge of because they have a uh, sentience and I guess, you know, it's not like they're glued to their purpose, but there'll be some sort of struggle uh, because uh, to, they, they know that that is their challenge now to defeat that, but they were built originally to support that. So I like that. I think that's, that's cool. I also like the idea of, um, see my plot hook is to, I'm going robots. It, it's a robot plot hook. Here we are. It's time for robots. Sure. Um, and f- Robots, uh, I have serial numbers. So I'm assuming that this is, I'm thinking of Seven of Nine from, uh, from Voyager. I often mm. do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now Picard, have you watched Picard yet? In the same way that I watched Seven of Nine or? <laughs> <laughs> the show Picard. No, I haven't. It's on the list. It is on the list. Okay. Um, but Spaceballs isn't fuck. Anyways, um, but like the idea of Seven of Nine always bothers me because I'm like, where are the other eight? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so the idea that this guy would be number 12. And he was the one that was, or maybe number one, he was there with the creator and he was there with the creator who sent all of the, he helped build all of the others and send them out. 
uh, on a spacefaring voyage to whatever, and then he stayed there and and supported. He was the Alfred to the Batman of the creator, and now that rock gnome has died. Mm. So now he has to go find the other rock gnomes, like the other auto gnomes that were that w- were his brethren that got sent out. And he it. knows what they look like. He knows how many there are. He knows where they were sent. But he needs to get there. And when he gets there, of course, the DM's like, "Well, there's just clues." They're not actually there. Where did they go? And that's that's my plot hook. So a, a reason for these guys to fucking adventure. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm making a Pinocchio campaign just to piss you off, Adam. Fucking yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fucking yeah. Geppetto. It's just right there. Fucking Come on. Geppetto file. Yeah. Like, a rock gnome yeah. creates this little thing and then gives it life. And then... It's yeah. so fucking weird that we get two Pinocchio movies right now, too. Yeah. Like, we we're getting the Tom Hanks one. We're also getting the fucking Guillermo del Toro one. Oh, what? I hadn't heard oh, of that Oh, yeah. One. And it's, it's some motion. It looks... It looks creepy as fuck, which is what Pinocchio should be. Yeah. It should not be childlike wonder and innocence. That kid was alive for less than 24 hours. But all I want is a child. Now, here's an apple. Go to school. What school? Doesn't matter. What direction? Who cares? Is anyone going to ask me questions about where this boy came from? No? Fuck you. Down the lane. Off you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. He didn't come back. I guess I'd better row in a boat out to nowhere. What? What is this fucking story that we had? I'm, I'm fucking done. What is a nonsense bullshit? By the way, there are anthropomorphic foxes over here. We're going to turn you into kind of a donkey. And did you guys remember that the guy that runs that fucking sideshow never gets caught, never gets punished? That's it. They're still out there somewhere kidnapping children. Yeah, I, knew, I knew this was going to start a rant. Fuck. I'm done. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think this is the third episode I've been on where you've been on a rant about Why Pinocchio. Why is nobody asking where these children are? Either. Everyone in town is happy as Larry. Because, man, it is like the 17th century. They don't give a shit about their kids. They'll just pop out another one. Fair one. <laughs> Fair one. Fuck. Okay, wow. All right. Well, uh, let's move it on to it. Why did the cricket have a voice, but the cat didn't? <laughs> what the fuck is that? That poor cat is the only non-atlet. All right, I'm done. Because the cricket is magic, man. He also wears a suit with a top hat and a cane. Is that all it takes to be magic? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the magic came first and then the suit afterwards. Is it the same top hat? It, like manufactured with the same Frosty the Snowman top hat? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. From now on, I'm going to have magical top hats that can give sentience in my campaigns. That's the, my takeaway from this episode. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Three, <laughs> three Men in Their 30s ran about a movie that came out 18 years ago. <laughs> that's what the internet's for. That Take that, Disney. Yeah. <laughs> Glad we fixed all of Disney's problems. <laughs> role-playing. Okay. Uh, my insights for role-playing then. I think to make role-playing easier, stick firm to your bonds, your ideals, and your flaws. It's going to give you a lot of direction with autonomes, and it'll mm. give you an understandable kind of direction to stick to where if you're becoming just a little bit kind of too human. Uh, I think these creatures will also be stuck fat to stuck fast to their alignments. I don't think they are going to be convinced to change their minds on things, although that could be part of their character development. Um, but knowing what we know about humans in real life who refuse to change their minds on anything, uh, it could be it could still be difficult to do. Uh, still could be difficult to pull off. So how can you make it fun and not an annoyance is the question that comes from this if you're sticking hard and fast to those. So as, I'm arguing my own point. Really. Well, no, as long as it doesn't get in the way of the other party members. Right. And as long mm-hmm. as... And I don't mean like being contradictory to the barbarian says one thing like nope we'll not do that that's one kind but also the bard is trying to talk to the shopkeeper and you keep saying shit to, this is my programming you're getting in the way like mm-hmm. know when to shut up yeah mm-hmm. right um 
that's one of the things I've done for lawful good characters in previous editions when you get stuck where lawful good meant lawful stupid back then. Yeah. Was I would just learn, I would go in with a way to be distracted by something else so that I'm focused on that and the rogue can still steal the, you know, they can still be murder hoboey in the back alley because I got distracted by a street vendor out front, right? And so I'm not aware of it. And it creates laughs at the table that, that hey, we did this thing all except for Adam over there because he was he's lawful good and couldn't get involved. Yeah. So he was distract, distracted by another butterfly. And it was mm-hmm. like there was always a thing to keep me focused on something else. Um, that's how I would get around that annoyance. Yeah. That fair one. Uh, okay. uh, no, oh, I was, you, yeah, I was next. Um, honestly, I'm going to look to uh, Modron's in a lot of ways for this. I really think these guys are more focused on law and order as opposed to chaos. Good to evil, I feel like, is a matter of perspective. We've said that more than once on this podcast. Um, but but the uh, the idea here is that you can have an evil one or a good one. Sure, that's fine. I don't see a whole lot of chaotic autonomes unless mm-hmm. the wiring has gone bad or like it's clearly a flaw that they have. Yeah. Um, everything construct in D&D tends to be neutral or law. I'm going to keep that in mind when I'm playing in an auto note. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of almost like a childlike simplicity to them, right? Like coming to the game with no real alignment, no real bonds or flaws, right? Because they just left their creator behind. So they are exploring a new world that they have never really seen before. And so, you know, it's that whole nature versus nurture thing, right? And I think it can make an excellent kind of... Are you my mommy? I mean, maybe not that much. <laughs> can like, can, right? can I call my, you mommy? Yeah. <laughs> Are you my daddy? Yes, I'm your daddy. More like a 13-year-old kid that was locked in a vault, right? Oh, uh, a movie with Brendan Fraser. Blast from the Past. Yes. Yeah. Jesus, that was a deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, ever, you haven't seen that. No. Terry doesn't watch movies. He yeah. watches porn. <laughs> <laughs> Terry makes porn. He doesn't watch movies. So... <laughs> That, that one didn't get the... the, the uh, they believe uh, you, those people at home, when you say these things, you know. <laughs> as well they should. We never make up lies here. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you can order the bondage furniture. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like a go-with-the-flow kind of character, you know, I think it might even make an excellent um, uh, type of character for someone who's new. Right? And still kind of finding their feet and finding their flow. Sure. Right? You get a, like a blank slate and you can kind of see what you like and what you don't like. Right. Yeah. It kind of gives you an excuse to be curious yeah. about things. Where the the, uh, the player might genu- genuinely be curious about stuff. You know, I, I remember saying to Dan a couple of years ago now, because he played D&D for so long, he already knew all of the monsters. He knew everything. Too, and he had this uh, he had this habit in our game and where he would say out loud what it is as the kind oh, of the clues he still coming fucking in. does that. And I, and I, I remember having to say to Dan, Dan, I genuinely do not know what this thing is. And I'm going through that childlike wonder of finding out. Uh, and so, yeah, leaning into that, that's if you genuinely do have that, the curiosity uh, through the player character uh, is a perfect avenue for that. Segwaying onto exploration, I like it from the other side as well, as if you are a very experienced player playing a player character who would have that same curiosity because you can actually use it to guide the more junior players. You can be like, Papa, what happens if we eat the mushroom? You know? <laughs> I don't know. What happens if we eat them? Let's investigate the mushrooms. You can kind of use it in that sense as well. As far as exploration goes, I mean, the thing that I'm looking at is what kind of 
skills naturally go with autonomes. And I don't think nature and survival are on the high end of medicine. Unless you were built for that, that's not what's coming to mind here. I lean into history, right? And um, even uh, like Arcana, if if you are a spellcasting autonome, which is weird to me, a construct that, you know what? That's a whole other rant. I'm moving past it. The um, I'm, I'm thinking more about what does this guy... What is my robot going to be good at? What is my droid going to naturally be good at? I'm going to pump into perception, especially because I'm going to be the one on watch. Mm. Everybody else is going to get a full eight hours, and I'm going to sit there for six hours. My head just like, do you think their heads turn 360 degrees? Because I would like that to happen. Mm. I just, don't see a problem with that. It's not really game-breaking if you do have that. No, like, like there's mm-hmm. nothing at all in 5th edition about what direction you're facing. Yeah. So why not? Yeah, sure. Just to have them stand in the middle of the camp and their head just slowly rotates around. Oh, would you be like able a to security sleep camera? when that was happening to you? Oh my oh, god. Probably not. But. I like the idea. I like the idea of them having like a hooded lantern on the top of their head. So it's like a fucking spotlight. Like it's a <laughs> lighthouse going around camp. I love mm-hmm. it. All right. Kyle, it's you for exploration. Uh, honestly, I think they make great tool monkeys because they, with the specialized design, they get two tool proficiencies, which can come super in handy in terms of exploration, right? Like you take the cartographer's tools and I don't know what else, map making. Well, that's the, the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it depends on which class you're going to take, what the background is. Mm-hmm. If you're a thief, obviously the rogue is going to pick thieves' tools, right? You're going to get a healer's kit if you are a cleric. Like there, yeah. there are some things that just go hand in hand. The druid with the herbalism kit. Yeah, but those get built in, right? This is two tool choices on top of that. Torturous tools. Yeah, uh, I don't want to play your homebrew, but okay. <laughs> okay. Lastly, for combat, then I kind of touched on my combat ideas earlier, but I'll just kind of recap. I think you should fight your own fight. I think you have opportunities here to, uh, you know, lean into things like the fact that you don't need to breathe. Uh, put yourselves in situations where breathing would be essential for the enemy, whether it be water, um, collapsed mind, whatever, uh, and lean into it that way. And then just know that people, the rest of the party is likely going to lean on you to be the guinea pig. You're probably going to have to run out there and and, uh, you know, take that first hit of poison damage or something so that everybody else can get a round up. Uh, but I'll give you guys a chance to kind of add your own thoughts as well, Adam. I like the idea of, I mean, clearly I'm going to go for one of the big hit dice classes. It's going to be Barbarian, Paladin, Fighter, or Ranger because I am going to be the guinea pig. I am going to be front row center. Oh, the green dragon's poison breath doesn't work against me. Ha ha. Right, but his tail does. The bite still works. <laughs> I am getting hit by those things. Yeah. So, like... You're you're in the way of harm more often than not. Um, I feel like if I'm a back row caster with these guys, a lot of that poison shit, it's nice. It's not going to matter. Mm-hmm. Although I do like the idea of being a druid. It's like, do you think this mushroom is poisonous? Let me find out. Uh, sensors say no. <laughs> Love it. Detecting cyanide. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like play a monk or a barbarian. A great class for it, right? Because with the unarmored defense plus their natural AC, it, it kind of bugs me too. Like, like they're works, protected by a thin work. sheet of metal. How does that give you an extra three AC? I, the idea, I mean, a breastplate's technically a thin sheet of metal, but um, it depends yeah. on how they're constructed, right? The 
I'm picturing like tin though. Yeah, well, I, this thing isn't making out of steel. Because by like IRL history, like the crossbow basically made like plate armor obsolete like overnight. So yeah. you know we still play, we still forget about that. So well, I like the idea too. If you're getting shot by crossbow, you pull out, and the hole is still there until you magically get healed, right? Like your hit points regenerate, but you're still dented. Yeah. And, like, your your coat of paint has been all scratched to shit, and you look like most of the cars I've ever driven. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, that brings us to the end of Auto Gnomes. Uh, Kyle, you're up next. What do you have for us? Uh, t- today, we will be talking about the plasmoids. So, plasmoids, if you want to know what they look like, they are gray blobs. And then, if they feel like it, they can form into humanoid shapes can they by other- hardening their outsides. They can be other colors. Yeah, they can by absorbing dyes through their pores. Oh, is that it? Yeah. So you can pick whatever color you want to be, and then you can just expel it when you're done. That's neat. Yeah. Um, And when they do harden their form, um, like the outer layer of their gushy being, I guess is the way to put it, they can wear clothes and armor as well, and uh, wield weapons and everything. Now, do they get, like, are they always kind of amorphous with, like, clearly defined limbs? Or can they be an actual humanoid, like a changeling? Like, can they look like a human? No, they still look like ooze, just in human form. Like, so like, with with their with yeah. one of their abilities, oh, they have little flubber guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty close. Okay. And with their ability, um, they can choose, you know, to have one arm or two, one leg or two. They can choose not to have a head and just keep all their central ganglia, which is basically how they sense the world right inside and they can manipulate it so um you know they'll take away their ooze away from some of their ganglia to increase their hearing so they could hear like a butterfly flapping its wings 100 feet away is the example they give in the book but then it's also super sensitive to like regular noises so, so it can be easily deafened and shit as well. Yeah, and it like hurts it. But I mean, that's also from older editions. They don't really they cover don't, that. In I here. was gonna say that's really, really specific and noodly for fifth edition. Yeah, yeah, I, then, I love it. Then you could that's... use, you could get like a free thing. Like you could use your interaction just to be like, I yell in its face and hit it. You know, yeah, and, and, and it so. takes thunder damage from the yell. Yeah, right? like, yeah. But I mean, it, and by the same token, it also can protect itself from having that happen by increasing its mass around the ganglia. How long does it take to do that? Is that an action? It's or? one action. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's weird. That's weird. I don't know how I feel about plas- plasmoids are the one that I'm like, what the fuck? Why did, what is this? Yeah. I'm going to get into it. I have more than a couple problems with them in general. So, I mean, in terms of lore, there is precious little in 5e. The whole write-up in the book for them is just telling you how, mostly how they eat and uh, reproduce and what they look like and how they form. There is nothing about their society. Absolutely nothing about that. But I, I did find in 2E that they did go a little bit more into it. Um, and basically they have societies uh, that are hierarchy based, but then they also don't follow hierarchies. Like there's no real meaning to them, but they follow them. They don't fight each other because it is thought that they all came from the original plasmoid and they all just sprouted off. So when they mate, basically what they do is they go up to another plasmoid, they touch, and then the first one divides itself and then passes on like a little bit of memories to the new one. I don't understand why they touch because you're not like passing on new genes. You're just passing on, you're just cloning yourself to make a new plasmoid. The, uh, do you become a small creature for a while after doing that? Um, <laughs> it, 
I think in the older editions you would have. In this one, you just get to pick whether you're a medium or a small creature in the very beginning. But it also, like in the older editions too, it said you could change your size by just absorbing matter. Right? There were all sorts of funky rules. That sounds like 3.5 bullshit. Yeah. And I love that level of ridiculous shit for my world building. Fuck am I glad you don't have to play with that shit in 5th edition. So yeah. only one of them divides. So Kai, the fives to touch you. Do yeah. we both divide? You want to hold a hand. Do, or, do, or do just you divide? Uh, from what I read, it sounds like just you divide. Like you decide that you're going to procreate. So you find someone else to touch. Like I need a supervisor. Then, to- yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, but maybe it's like a mutual process. So they both divide by I mean, mitosis. If we, if we each give a quarter of ourselves, then we're only down. We're each 75% and now we have a 50%er over here. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody go to the, to the fucking dump and grab some organic material. We got to re-up. Yeah. Right, it's, it's so weird. They don't they don't have a sense of taste or smell, right? So they can just they're my two favorite senses. Right, so, <laughs> this. I think that's the same for a lot of people. Um, so also it it goes on to say that um, even though they live in a hierarchy, but they don't follow it, they also love money and power, treasure and power, right? But it all then it follows it up by saying they'll also just eat. Things of importance for other cultures because they don't know that it is. Oh, not, not they're not just like fuck you and your ancestral sword. Yeah, they're it's just, just like, like mm. I'm hungry. Mm, this is the closest thing. So, but what do they keep for treasure? What do does a ball of ooze keep for treasure? And why do they love power if they don't care about hierarchies in yeah. their own society? It's funny that they would like covet wealth as well and then not follow hierarchies because hierarchies, you know, part of it is to protect assets, mm. right? You know, thou shalt not steal my stuff. Uh, so like, it seems weird that they would want wealth, but they wouldn't pursue a structure that kind of protects that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe they want shit that is definitively uniquely solid. For example, titanium or something that is like, not gold because gold is fairly malleable, right? They want something that's hard. Gems, for example, Mm. are worth a lot to them because gems are absolutely rigid and Mm. they shatter and break. They can't mold at all. That would be interesting and unique to something like a plasmoid. That's where I'm coming from with with that. The idea of the hierarchy as well would be like, it's weird that you guys are living like this. All right, let's do it. This will be neat and funny. And like, it's more of a quirk and an interest than it is a necessity. Yeah. Right? Like, now now I'm a captain. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) Right? When do I get to be captain? Uh. How'd you become captain? I'll be captain. Right? And then who's going to be captain next? (laughs) Well, the funny thing about that is it also says that uh, they are often employed as politicians because they can just speak for hours about nothing at all. And they speak by pulling in air and then forming their ooze so that when they squeeze the air out, it makes the sound. Well, it's time to draw syllabus for Yeah, kind of like that. It's so strange, but, but politics really is, is these, all hierarchies. Is all hierarchies, yeah. yeah. Well, hold on. Maybe they're just in politics like they're mediators because, and bear with me on this because this is a fucking stretch, um, the idea that because they are not solid, they can see things from other people's perspectives. Their point of view is malleable as well. So they make good negotiators. Maybe. I'm really stressing. Well, in the sentence. People can still see things from other people's perspective, but still disagree on it. Like, yeah. hey, I know what you're saying, but I just do not think that's the best course of action, you know? But 
I don't know. Like, like, I, I understand your pumpkin spice latte. I don't agree with it. Mm. It is bullshit and I hate it. But I protect your right to have it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will judge you while you drink it. But by God, go ahead and drink it. You basic bitch. <laughs> it sounds, from the, the wording, that they are employed simply to enact filibusters. It sounds like it, right? Yeah, because they can talk for hours about so, nothing so important. For days that yeah. they never come to any resolution. Yeah. Oh, then they decide the whole thing's stupid and they don't care who's in charge. Anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my god, the fucking College of Eloquence Bard with this would be fucking insufferable. <laughs> it would. To just argue a point and then just go, I've decided I don't care anymore. <laughs> it oh, oh, I convinced you? Oh, that's boring. <laughs> then just turn around and walk away. I've changed sides. <laughs> so the stereotypes for them are their legendary loyalty, apparently. And when you make friends with them, they're friends with you for life. So that's nice. Uh, they also have ravenous hunger, uh, and they can't smell or taste anything, so it really doesn't matter to them what they eat. Eat as, my poo! Yeah, as long as they can take it all in. Um, they love treasure and power, are easily entertained, and fascinated because of their childlike curiosity. And I also wonder, does this mean they're gullible? Would you be able to easily fool them? Yes? Fuck, this is, this is borderline kinder territory, and I'm not happy about it. Mm. These guys sound obnoxious as fuck from top to bottom. I got a question. They can't taste it, but if I give you, if I give a plasmoid a fucking jalapeno pepper, are they gonna react to it? Will they still acknowledge the spice? Do they not get the flavor, but they still get the burn? I think they will still get the burn because that's pain. Okay. I don't, I honestly, I don't know, because it would all depend on their biology, right? Because, like, for birds, Capsin doesn't matter. It does not affect them at all. They can't. Yeah. It doesn't. It's, they don't taste spice. Right. So. I feel well, like. I, I think it comes down to biology <laughs> that is. We're asking all yeah. the right questions. Right <laughs> Jeremy Crawford, show your fucking work. <laughs> I, I want to see your notes on this. So for racial bonuses and mechanics. Um, first, they are an ooze type creature uh, that can be either small or medium. Like I said, you get to choose this on uh, creation, but in previous editions, you could change your size. So they could increase their mass by taking in a bunch of stuff, or they could just uh, expel a bunch of mass to make themselves small creatures, to change their size at will, essentially. Uh, their walking or oozing speed, I guess depending on form, is 30 feet. Uh, do they leave a snail trail? Yes, they do. That is... That is their poop. That they is... basically secrete all their waste products from pores, and then it just... Follows them behind. I have so many fucking horrible ideas for a campaign with that shit. <laughs> so it, that's just constant? Just yeah. like snails? With, but now they say, take my hand! Oh, God, no. Please, I'll die. Uh, so they are amorphous, so they can squeeze into spaces that are at least an inch wide. However, to do so, they have to drop whatever they're carrying. Unless it's smaller than an inch. They could carry a coin through, I guess. I, it doesn't say that anywhere, yeah. but like that makes sense as a DM. Yeah. Although I don't see that being super useful at any time. I don't know. Carry carry the end of this wick through? Uh, I would do it for such things as they can maybe go inside of the lock and explain what they see to the, to okay. the rogue. You know, something yeah. like that. Now, we've, we've talked about their gang as far as hearing and whatnot goes. I'm assuming this affects sight as well? Uh, yeah, I'll get into that later, but they, it, they can detect light. That is the saying. So I, I think it's like 
light, dark. So it's not so much sight. So they can see like silhouettes of shit, but maybe not details. They're not yeah. gonna be able to see color. Yeah, I don't think so because they don't really have eyes. So that would be that would say that no, they couldn't get into the lock and yeah. look around, right? Yeah, fair point. Yeah, anyway, we'll get into that a bit later. Um, so they actually next. So part of amorphous. <laughs> Part of Amorphous is it also gives them advantage uh, when initiating or breaking a grapple. Which yeah, is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Which is yeah, pretty okay. great. Also, fuck you for trying to grapple a plasmoid. That's, yeah. that's just fucking dumb. And now you're covered in snail trail. Uh, they also get 60 feet of dark vision, which is fucking stupid to me because they do not have eyes. They don't can't form corneas to, like, take in the light and, you know, make sense... Of the image in front of them. What's interesting to me is that dark vision... So the way that dark vision works is that you see darkness as if it's low light, and low light as if it's bright light. Yeah. So however they would picture bright light would just affect... Like, you're just doing it in in the scaling down the level of light. But it doesn't make any sense for things like drow or anything to have dark vision either. Because, I mean, like, you're not seeing specifically... You still see it all in grayscale. And it's still... Yeah technically dim light it's you don't and people a lot of dms get this wrong they think that there's just the two see it and then dark vision see dark or like see in the dark that's not what it is really yeah you get the general impression of things like um i feel like even with dark vision you're going to recognize or you're still going to be surprised by that chair in your bedroom that looks like a person because all the clothes that are on it right that's still going to fucking affect you because you can see it as opposed to being completely blind yeah right so i think that plasmoids can still Get dark vision and be fooled by it. I want to say that they would just have dark vision all of the fucking time. I don't think they should have vision, period. I don't think, like, because it's not part of their natural biology. If you look at all the art, there's no eye. I want them to have tremor it's, sense. It's basically, so, so the ganglia is essentially a nervous system. Right, so they can feel, hear, and like it's yeah, painful to vibrations, them. right? Yeah. Like, so they should have tremor, tremor sense. Yeah. yeah. Right. They should have tremor sense, and then also I think they should have um, advantage on perception checks that rely on sound. Mm-hmm. Right, because they can change their uh, ganglia to make them more receptive to sounds. Yeah. But I also understand why wizards didn't do that because they are trying to simplify characters and gameplay. And so I think throwing that in is a little much. Yeah, honestly, also as a DM, describing it differently. To, so the player comes with the plasmoid who can't really see detail. Like there is a large dark image in front of you that is roughly six feet tall and broad shouldered. And, and, and you say it all for the player. And there's like, oh, Okay, 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 okay. And then you turn to the elf beside me and go, so the orc standing there, the, the plasmoid player still has all the fucking information. Right? Yeah. And they're, no matter how good you are at not metagaming, you're still going to hear that info and make assumptions, especially in combat. And like, yeah, for sake of ease, sure, fine, give them dark vision. I just think they should have dark vision all the time just for the quote unquote idea of sensing shit around mm. you. But you're right, I like Tremor Sense better. Yeah. Uh, so they can also hold their breath for an hour by drawing a pocket of air essentially into them. Uh, they have natural resistance to both poison and acid and advantage to avoiding the poison condition and self-shape, which I went over earlier, which basically they can go from an amorphous blob to a humanoid shape that has either one or two arms, one or two legs and a head. It's one or two. It's not. So, yeah, you it, can pick. No, I'm saying it can't be three arms though. And nah, it just says one or two, unfortunately. Um, and, but they also, part of it uh, is they can grow a pseudopod out of them. 
So can I. As a bonus action. Mm, I bet you can. It's the bone this action. <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh at that shit, oh. God. <laughs> it can be up to six inches wide and ten feet long. There it is. It's <laughs> just kind of nice. As part of the same bonus action, uh, you can use it to open and close a door or container, manipulate an object, so flip a switch or what have you. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> I never stand uh, there. I sh- <laughs> Or pick up or or drop a tiny object. It can't attack, use magic items, or lift anything heavier than 10 pounds. Why is my sword belt wet? Never mind. <laughs> 10 pounds is a lot, though. Yeah, it's a decent amount. I think that's basically Mage Hand, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Mage Hand's 5 pounds? Five no, pounds? Uh, is that Tensor's floating disc is 5? Uh, I can't remember. I there are rules yeah. for this shit. Uh, so for role-playing, uh, I think if you're going to play this character, you're, they're going to be fucking weird and out there because they don't have two of the most important senses that we do as humans, right? So scent is the closest scent sense tied to memory and then there's also eating think about how many rituals we have that revolve around food yeah right banquets feasts you know family dinners all that stuff it doesn't matter what kind of background you come from food is always important and it's a large asset of our family structure do they only consume organic material does it say it does not specify. Well, shit. That's I, that's impressive. Yeah, I imagine they can do anything because they are acid, right? I, anything a gelatinous cube can do, I assume they can do as well. Yeah. Can anything damage them that they absorb or poison them? Like lantern oil, for example, if that, if they suck that into them? Uh, there's no rules written for that, so... Acid? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they have resistance to acid damage. Yeah, they're resistant yeah, to poison right. and acid. But, like, I don't know. You get real fucky. Oh, you ate the barrel of gunpowder? Okay. Cast fireball on you. Like, here we go. Uh, You could get fucky with it. I mean, but if they cast fireball on you and it's inside you, would it really explode? Because an explosion needs oxygen. Uh, it's Yeah, but this is magic. It's not physics. Yeah, so, I guess. Yeah. I guess that's true. I got really loud there, though I hadn't spoken for a while, and that was what I was going to get for. <laughs> Actually! <laughs> so a big thing uh, in the older edition, too, is that um, they had to worry about drying out. They needed water constantly, and in desert conditions, they... Um, took like 1d8 damage per day because it dries up. They need that layer of mucus around them like a snail or a slug. It has like a protective coating. That is delicious. Yeah. I like that. Uh, In terms of combat tactics, unfortunately, I don't think this is a very good race for combats or lineage uh, for combat because, I don't know, I would want to take advantage of the amorphous ability, but you have to drop everything every time you want to use it to squeeze into something, right? I like the advantage uh, advantage against being grappled and grappling someone, and I would use it, like, I'd probably go for a monk with this, because you don't really need to carry all that much stuff, mm-hmm. but... That, and there are rules for how long it takes to don and doff armor, and can you imagine every time you go through a keyhole, you then have to pause the fucking exploration of the dungeon for ten more fucking minutes while you get all your armor and shit on? Okay, yeah. I have a question about that. Would they actually need to don it? Because, I mean, they go into an amorphous blob, and then they form themselves so they can just crawl into the armor and then just form their leg into the legs and arms and bodies. That is a strong point. Uh, That is... Okay, now you're arguing rules as written versus rules as intended. For, For... Look, the rule of cool, me as a DM, yes, you just... 
your way back into the armor. Mm-hmm. But rules is written. If I have got a player at the table that, that's going to throw a fucking fit about that, then yeah, yeah technically. That's going to be a case by case. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's not it's not like this is a dwarf and there's going to be one at every table, right? So. Yeah. I mean, I just honestly after looking at the other two uh, lineages that we're covering today, this one is definitely a step down from the other ones. You think so? Oh yeah, especially in terms of combat and well, overall nothing... usefulness. Well, you see, okay. I have thoughts. Do you want to roll initiative on these? Uh, are you done? Is there more breakdown? Uh no, that's pretty much it. Yeah, let's roll. Oh, that is a one. Eleven. You got an eleven. Kyle with a fifteen. All right, coming up big. All right, going first on your own questions, as is tradition. Uh, so for a quest, I would probably have a rogue ooze that's going out there and absorbing other oozes, and then taking their power and memories, and then is slowly trying to use that hierarchy to become ultimate leader of the oozes or the plasmoids. Yeah, that's. I like that. I like that. I like the idea of an ooze. There was never an ooze originally, and uh, does not want to stay as an ooze, because I feel like this would be me. Uh, and so it would be about trying to get back to your original form. Uh, you know, you can make it more challenging by being that you're away from your home, so the people around you don't necessarily know you. Uh, but I feel like the only thing I could take from this was that I would never want to be one of the plasmoids. Plasmoids, yeah. Plasmoids. Uh, and so my biggest quest inspiration was actively trying not to be one all the way through the adventure. So <laughs> this is the worst. This is the worst. This is the worst. Who is forced upon me? Okay, all right. Bear with me. I've got a back backstory for this guy. So originally, I was merely a puddle, and I was experimented on by, let's say, an artificer or a wizard or something, and they discovered that I had the ability to grow these ganglia and, and change in shape form. I wasn't just another green slime that they assumed I was, right? So, mm-hmm. Or a gray ooze. Gray ooze is literally a thing that's like a freaking low-level bullshit monster, right? You're an amorphous gray blob on this, and they realize, that, oh, we can die you. We can do other things that the other oozes can't. And then they'll understand that there's a certain limited level of sentience as I grow up and hit adulthood. Is there anything about lifespan? For these guys? About a century, it's had. Okay, so, I mean, you reach adulthood at, what, 18, 19, 20, something like it's roughly human. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, a wizard experiments on me, then then suddenly I start to be able to communicate and whatnot by bubbling out words and shit. And then slowly I become kind of generally bipedal. So I'm able to walk around and, and I want to be what these solid forms are. I want to be one of you. I'm the only one of my kind. I don't know where I come from. And I just want to be like everybody else. And it bothers me that I'm different. I can't quite see. I have no sense of taste or smell, but I can pretend to eat through a mouth I kind of create to try to blend in a little bit. And it's not that I want to be human. It's that I just don't want to be different. I don't like other people pointing out how different my character is. Um, And I get very, very latched on to the idea of, of there's a right way and a wrong way. And I started my life wrong. Like there's order, there's boundaries, there's solid shape. Whereas I have no front or back or, or inside or outside, right? I just, and I'm trying to find definition for who I am. So I'm like really latching onto the idea of being lawful. Okay. I like that idea. Yeah. I like it. That's literally the 
entire fucking backstory for Odo from Deep Space Nine. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't watched DS9 yet, Terry, you fucking should. I mean, like, I have seen it in the 90s. wasn't my favorite one. Mm. But I know it is your favorite one, though. So. We're gonna, we're gonna, God, this... Well, it wasn't my favorite one when I was, like, eight years old. Yeah, so it might be sure, now, yeah. you know. Yeah, there's a five-season war arc to it. That's, like, one of the very first, like, episodic kind of, of shows that was on television at the time. Mm-hmm. I'll probably so, actually love it, to be honest. It's just, there's so much. There's so watch? much, yeah. yeah. Gardener's World, in my case. Go on, Kai. Uh, I just finished watching all of the reboot of DuckTales. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was everything I needed. <laughs> it was, like... Legit good, and I don't know why. <laughs> I hate it when you go back to shows like that, and there's nowhere near as good as what you thought. Yeah, I watched Thundercats recently. Oh, no. <laughs> that used to be so good. I did that with Masters of the Universe, He Man. Like, yeah. uh, oh, the new one or no, like no, the no, original? The original one. I'm like, is this the old Ninja Turtles from like '89? Does not hold up. It's, yeah, oh, yeah, it's really. painful. I'm pretty well, sure He Man was designed just for a toy line. That is most cartoons <laughs> of the '80s. <laughs> Okay, so for role-playing, I think I pretty much went into it, uh, but I do have a character idea as well. Um, I like the idea of, you know, this ooze that has just been watching everybody else and really likes, kind of like you, looking at all these new shapes. So it becomes a druid just so it can learn how to wild shape into every other animal out that's there. really fucking cool and then it just that's its entire motivation for going through adventures and doing all this stuff just so it can learn about new animals to turn into them i love it uh i would lean into the loyalty thing but of course the way they express that is not going to be anything like any of us would imagine you would just you would just have this weird creepy ooze that's maybe always stood next to you <laughs> or else just slightly behind you like yeah! like just there all the time <laughs> no sense of personal space yeah, absolutely not because they're loyal to you and they have to protect you or it's the other way where if they do not trust you because they have loyalty to somebody else that they they show the same behavior that Mm -hmm. they're watching them closely always and this idea of i don't know if he really likes me or really fucking hates me (laughs) it's always right there i am going to hope that i've got a furbolg or bar or a goliath in the party because they can carry uh, like weight like a uh, like a large sized creature so that we could just have me the barbarian in a barrel strapped to his back <laughs> so every time they're like the goblins are well there's eight of us and three of you four of us and they just rip the lid off the barrel <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you imagine if you saw that like Zoidberg from Future <laughs> I'm out <laughs> yeah, without the shell when he's real pink and squishy <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> what do we got next? Exploration, I e- think, is exploration. Next. Uh, the amorphous thing could come in handy. Super handy. That's that's the key to this character. Yeah, yeah. I can't even expand any further. Than that. No, I mean, you want to be one of the exploration classes for this, which mm. are off the top of my head: rogue, monk, based on movement and the slow fall and all that shit, and ranger. That's it. So, I mean, you are going to pick up survival and nature and some of that shit. You're the person that's going to go forward ahead of the party and check for traps. Investigation, I think, would be big for these guys, even though they don't have fucking eyes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think that too, because I think they would be super curious about everything. Yeah. So, perception, investigation. Um, I wouldn't be looking at acrobatics and athletics and stuff. They don't... I don't think they'd give a fuck. Yeah. Right? They would... Probably want to know history. So what's this? What's this? What's this? So they'd have a background and shit, right? So yeah, yeah that's kind of where I'm thinking. 
Uh, combat. Uh, the resistances help, so that's great. Um, I'm going to grapple everything because they're not going to grapple back. Yeah, yeah, that's all I'm going to do. Yeah, and then what can we do for a rule for the, if the um, where they can go through the the, the spaces, you know, an inch an inch size there? What can we do for a rule at the table of can I get into the enemy's backpack here? Can I get into their um, their, at, their pouches and stuff? At this point, I'm going to as a DM turn to the player and say, yes, of course you can, but if you can do it then I can do it too. Right. If we introduce yeah. that into that into our fucking repertoire here at the table, then you will have pixies in your bag and you will have oozes in your boots. Mm-hmm. And there yeah. will be like we will start to get into that shit. So if you want to like, oh, I crawl into the ogre's nostrils and then get big again and explode his head from the inside, great. Thank you for introducing that to my table. Now, I can play with it, too. And that usually stops my creative players dead in their fucking tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because I really like that. That's super neat and useful. And I would say, yes, you can totally do that. Um, but there would be a gentleman's agreement to not pull that shit on the big bad evil guy at level 20. Mm-hmm. Right. Do it to a lieutenant as a really cool, like, end of tier one set piece boom. Yeah. But, like, don't don't think you're going to get away with that shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the trouble with that idea with these is that... When they go amorphous, it doesn't change their size. They're still a medium-sized creature that's just a pile of ooze, right? Yeah, but the, it's not becoming a puddle this big. They no, but they kind of sneak up it a little bit at a time, right? And they'll work their way through their lock or whatever. I just yeah. get into. I just does it say anything? Do they move at half speed if they do that? Does no, it say, no, no. Fuck, I feel they should, right? No. Otherwise, or they're just difficult short. terrain. If yeah, well, you're yeah, going through it, like a small, it should key. be like that, right? Otherwise, yeah. you're just essentially walking through a door. To, like you, you walk up and put your center mass pseudopod into the keyhole and then slurp out the other end of it, right? Yeah. Without losing any movement speed seems weird. Yeah, but you lose all your stuff. Sure. So you are naked on the other side of that wall. But then, to and get, if there's an enemy there, like you're fucked. You got no backup if that door is locked, and well, they can't can get like, through. Can you like terminate it to it, like? <laughs> You know, make a rapier out of your hand? Soft ooze, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I mean, they can make it hard, but they make it hard like your skin is hard. Like, yeah. yeah. You can poke the enemy with your fleshy pseudopod. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this was a harebrained scheme that they didn't think all the way fucking through. Yeah. Yeah. That also sums up my opinion on Spelljammer in 5th edition as well. Like, <laughs> in theory, great. In practice, uh, you, you got most of the way there. Come hit me when you when you're out of the draft period. Mm-hmm. So um, I think uh, reading the second edition version of it, I, I think someone was just really flexing their biology degree, right? Because like, they went like into ganglia. detail. Yeah, they went into detail about all that stuff and like how they eat. Like, and then you imagine that, that does feel very three point five to me. Yeah, like very very Pathfinder. Where they're going to get into the weird, nitty-gritty bullshit because somebody read a book. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Fuck you and your education. <laughs> um, all right, I think that brings us to the Thrycreen now. And I hate that name the, so much. It is such a horrible, horrible name. They've been all, they've also been called Tricreen by people who I feel misread it. I had a toe and, fungus I think I took Thrycreen for. <laughs> <laughs> Or you can you can essentially think of them as mantis people. So they're described as being insectile with two pairs of arms and a hard uh fuck, how do I say that? Exoskeleton? Triton? Triton carapace? I think it's Triton. Um and Chitin? I think it's Triton. Yeah. Um but uh they can change color to camouflage as long as it's like a natural color. 
These guys are praying mantis people. They've got compound eyes, antenna, mandibles, a secondary smaller set of arms. It doesn't say that necessarily um, uh, in like the lore section, but it is reflected in their um, their mechanics. The they've got normal arms out of the shoulders, then out of like the middle of the rib cage, they've got smaller little like T Rex arms, kind of like the Glabrazoo, the goat ish demon does. Mm-hmm. Um, they got three fingers on each hand, and that includes a thumb. Um, their legs have two joints, so they got knees like us, but then it also, like, uh, the backward joint that doubles back, like, um, I'm trying to think, um, yeah, you mostly just see that on fucking insects. The, just the, mm-hmm. the Grasshoppers, the, I think, yeah, have it. Yeah, kind of, right? Um, and but then they've got, uh, two toes that point forward and one stabilizing toe that points backwards, so they got weird little Y-shaped footprints that they make. Um, they do not wear clothing, and they have no need for it, um, but all of their art has them wearing really long loincloths, which makes me think that these guys are fucking endowed. <laughs> um, the lore from 5th edition is really, really shitty. They don't sleep, but they do sit inactive the same way that the autonome does, except it's for the full eight hours. There's nothing about a shorter period of time. They're completely aware Well, they sit motionless like that as well. Um, they've got a weird speech thing, which is clacking their mandibles and waving their antenna, and that is how they communicate. Hard stop. Uh, some people can learn to understand them to a degree, but it's difficult. Uh, but regular humanoid mouths cannot replicate this communication. You essentially treat them like Chewbacca. You can understand them, but you will never never speak the the thrycreen language mm-hmm. um to make up for it they have mild telepathy because of course they do why the fuck not let's make it complicated um so i went digging through lore from previous editions and i discovered that these guys are an ancient race that have been around since even before the mind flayers they're one of the oldest races in existence um by a damn sight and that's awesome these guys are old elves, maybe older right so um they prefer dry and warm climates they're nomadic hunters from char char is um it's a subcontinent, I guess, in the Forgotten Realms. Like, it's the big desert um, grasslands area that's just kind of wild and full of, of herds of beasts traveling over the, the uncivilized landscapes. There's this kind of a, this wild area here. Um, they're four and a half to seven feet tall on 100 to 350 pounds. Yeah, like, they can get fucking big. Yeah. Um, their carapace is actually an exoskeleton. In previous lore, it doesn't say anything about that in 5th edition. Um, but I do like that it's incredibly difficult to determine males from females. So I assume that females also are really well endowed beneath the loincloth. And that's just that's just hilarious. I'm trying to figure out where the thry comes from. And I assume it's because they're almost tripods. Yeah. Oh, they mate by docking. Uh, I, I, God, I hope so. Um, thank you for doing a hand motion for that too, Kyle. Nobody can see that. But, you know, it, it really, really brought it together in my head. Thank you. Um... Their carabase can change colors between hues you find in the savanna or in grasslands. So you're getting yellows, browns, greens. Um, you're not getting a whole lot of like blue like the ocean or gray like rocks. Like they are grasslandish and desert feel. Um, and it says in uh, previous editions they wore belts and harnesses um, to be able to hold stuff on their body, but they don't like they don't have pockets. They have straps that should dangles from. Um, it also says that they're poisonous. They're not anymore. Um, well, they are and they aren't. The ones in the monster manual, the enemies, they have a poisonous bite. You as a player do not get that. 
they had limited um, psionics that would let them communicate and instinctively know directions um, in previous editions. So, like, they're not going to get lost. They could just magically cast, uh, I think it was no direction and location was a spell, uh, which we don't have anymore. And they could just inherently do that. So, in my head, these guys are almost like minotaurs. They just know which way is north Mm -hmm. all of the time. And that's a flavor that's not game-breaking. I'm going to... I'm going to let that happen. Yeah. As yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it makes sense. Um, it does say that they're immune to sleep spells in previous editions. Not anymore. That's not going to be a thing. The Autonome too. You don't sleep, but if someone puts you to sleep, you sleep. Yeah, right? Elves aren't like that. Yeah, that's weird. That's, uh, that's a fucking Because if they don't choice. sleep, how can they even sleep? You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? Like, um, now, they do have a couple of favored weapons, and you see this in a lot of the artwork for Thrykreen, and it's the Githka, which is a long-ass, like, double-ended spear that has almost, like, a half-moon blades on the end of them. Um, they're really, really cool. Like, the, each one ends at a point, like it's a crescent moon. Mm-hmm. So there's two points that face upward, um, or outward, rather, I guess, on both ends, and they wield them with, like, a multi-attack, so they hit with both ends, like Dark Maul, kind of. Speaking of Phantom Menace, you, you started us there, and I'm bringing it back around. Well, hey. Um, we've got to rescue the podcast somehow. The other one is the, the, the Chatkchas. Cause fuck. Um, and these. Sorry, did you just say the same word twice in a row? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, these things are like, I think ninja stars, except far heftier. Um, they do like a D6 damage. Um, so they're not like little shuriken. I thought they were like boomerangs because they come back, don't they? Not, I mean, some things say yes, not in fifth edition. Um, but they've got three points. So again, there's the 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 thry idea that's almost the tricreen. Um, everything is in weird like multiples and shit for them, but but yet also not. And it's there's not a whole lot of thematic consistency. Yeah. Um, with these guys, they do have short lifespans. They become mature at five or six, middle aged at twelve to sixteen, and they max out at thirty five. You do not find one older than thirty five. Hmm. Um, they show no emotions as humans understand them, although their clacking and antenna movements increase when they're agitated, and they do understand and sense and react to danger. They have no strong bend towards good or evil, but they're very chaotic, which gives them a reputation for being brutal and savage, but their chaos is not like a goblin's chaos. Their chaos is they are nomadic, they follow their heart, they go with the breeze. Whatever this moment now requires, that's what they do. There's no overarching plan. There's not you know uh, shoring up and we're gonna we're gonna bury this for later and come back to it no they're just gonna do it now mm. that's that's it they, there's very little forethought but they've got a long history um like a, a racial history as well uh, which i'll get into in a second here they really do see the world through the lens of predator and prey and they are noble hunters everything else is either a hunter alongside them or prey sometimes thrycreen can be prey and they do not give a shit. They have real, really no mercy. But they also don't show any cruelty either. Uh, if you're in need, then you must not be suited to survival. If <laughs> if you live, see you tomorrow. <laughs> and that's it. But also, if you do something to piss them off, they will write it and not go out for revenge. There's no vengeance from them. Uh-huh. Right? The idea is that the world is its own judge. If I kill you, I kill you for food, not for sport, um, and then not for punishment. There's no real understanding of complex concepts like devotion, honor, loyalty, or politics. They do have a pack leader. They're Roman small packs. So there's one person in charge, but that's just the person that says, now we go this way. Mm-hmm. There's no real social structure involved. Um, the small packs that they roam in are usually 
catchmates because um, there's a lot of information about their life cycle, which is unnecessary in previous editions. But there are 200 or so eggs that are laid out once by a female who then abandons the eggs. And those that survive make it most dumb. Um, if you end up making it, then you are one of the tougher, you are one of the stronger, and you deserve to survive. The other ones from your um, like clutch that also make it are also strong enough. You guys should team up and work as a pack. And so we do. Hard stop. So it's very logical like that. Um, sometimes packs will team up to briefly handle larger threats, but they don't stick together very long. Once the threat is taken care of, great, everybody go your own way again. Mm-hmm. And there are lone Thrykreen either from like packs that have been decimated or um, they have uh, they've disagreed with the direction the pack was going. Oh, you're going north, I'm going to go west. And so they just break off and go their own direction. They will get they will join up with another pack because oh, you've survived. You must be worth hunting with. And that's it. Like, it's very matter-of-fact. Um, like I said, chaotic just means that they're nomadic and unreliable as a result of that. Um, they're notoriously difficult to negotiate with because they already have the answer. And the answer is this. And it doesn't. there may not be a logic behind it as long as it makes sense to them. And with their own weird language, you don't understand what that logic is. They've just decided. I feel like this could be a real pain in the ass thing for players to do, so don't fucking do that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, they're not territorial. Considering that they're nomadic and, and they have these large swaths of land they hunt on, they don't particularly give a shit who else is on there. They simply share and respect to those who live off the land and take issue with those who defile it. They get along really well with humans, centaurs, and wemics. Wemics are centaur lions. Okay. So top half human, bottom half four-legged lion. Uh, that's from previous editions. We don't get those in fifth edition. Yet, I bet they're coming. But I mean, I would I would swap them in for um, Leonin easily. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. They're out in the grasslands and deserts hunting and shit, and they're all kind of the same thing. Yeah. It sounds um, like they're not territorial, but they will hunt you. They will, but well, let me get to it. Um, gnolls, orcs, and what are called loxos are bad. Now, we have loxodons, and they're very calm and stately in 5th uh, edition. Previous editions, we had loxos, which were elephant people again, but they had two trunks, and they were chaotic and evil and would just fuck up anything they could get their hands on. Um, and uh, they did not, did not like um, Thrykreen. I feel like just based on the lore of loxodons, if a loxodon and a Thrykreen is in a party in 5th edition, they'll be friends. Like, they're, there's nothing to make them enemies. Yeah. Even though you can find a lot of Thrykreen versus elephant people art online. Um, interestingly, though, um, they've got a complicated relationship with elves, and I'm going to get into that in just a second here. Uh, they hunt and eat rabbits and wild horses, which is, those are a delicate, uh, delicacy for them. They love wild horses. Um, they'll also eat other herd beasts, but their favorite thing to eat is elves. Elves are very delicious, which is odd to me because they like things that live off the land that are at one with nature. That's elves. That is the that is what elves do. Mm. Nope, they don't give a shit. Elves are tasty. You can't fight your stomach, man. Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? Mouth-wateringly no. good elves, I guess. They might have um, tried to drow once, and then they just got hooked. Like dark meat or light meat? Yeah. So. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> um, can we say that? It's 2022. My life is I don't know. Adam, I rely on you to update me on what is this week. Um, yeah, it's it's fantasy lineages. We're all right. Um, they're cannibalistic uh, when necessary. They'll even eat their own young if necessary because if we're all starving to death, the adults can make more young later. Mm. Yeah, it's like a lot of species, right? Yeah. Like kangaroos can reabsorb fetuses into their bodies. Yeah, their pouches are gross. Yeah, they can also carry 
three different babies in different stages of birth. <laughs> I always learn something here. <laughs> um, so these guys rarely get wanderlust or get sent out into the world. If they do to learn info that's going to help their pack, the pack leader says, we need to learn this shit, go out and do this. Come back when you know it. Hard stop, that's it. That is the only reason why they move away from an established pack. Um, otherwise, they tend to just be, they either leave to go because there's a disagreement of what direction to go in, or everybody else got completely destroyed. Like, there are loners out there, but for the most part, no, they just stick with their group. We hunt together. Um, They will often choose to team up with others that are not Thrycreen for safety or important missions, but they have no need for glory or treasure or fame. These things don't interest them. There's, they also don't have any real sense of morality. Oh, it's an evil, crazy, despotic leader over there. It's going to... Okay, who gives a fuck? Are they mm-hmm. bothering my grasslands? Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll fight them. Uh, no, I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. So, um, these guys tend to be druids. Occasionally, they can learn about gods from nearby civilizations, and they will become clerics, but there's really no mention of them ever having access to really arcane magic. So, they're wisdom casters, more or less. I can see them also being rangers. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm to me as far as their their casting ability goes yeah if they can't speak arcane words they can't really cast it right well i mean there's a there's a verbal component for even divine shit as well no. but uh, technically these guys could be fucking bards crickets sing right like yeah um so thousands of thousands of years ago so here so this is what pissed me off Nothing so far about Spelljammer. This is a fucking afterthought that these guys were added because, and it's mentioned very briefly in previous editions, that thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, they were spread all over the crystal spheres. The crystal spheres are, if you don't know, that's where where planetary systems live inside these, these crystal spheres. Your, your Spelljammer ship can leave the surface, go visit other planets inside this big-ass atmosphere. That's all the way around. And then you bust out into what's called wild space in your little atmosphere and gravity bubble on your Spelljammer ship. And then you end up floating on the currents of wild space, which is really poorly defined in 5th edition. Um, we used to have Phlogiston, which was just this like thick plasma almost that you that you would ride on. No, we don't have that shit anymore. They made it real fucking simple. It's wild space. Don't think about it. And if ah. you, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's magic. A wizard did it. Don't fuck off. Um... And then, uh, and then you can go from there to another um, crystal sphere. And inside that one is Eberron. Inside this one is Ravnica. Inside that one is Forgotten Realms. And in theory, every single one of the homemade, homebrew settings that has ever existed is a different crystal sphere. I'm imagining just a bunch of snow globes. Kind of. Sure. Right, yeah. but you're, the entire cosmology is in there. Like, all of the different realms are within the sphere. Right, as, and you can, in theory, fly to the different... Re- it just seems super lazy. It's it's not only lazy writing, it's poorly defined, and I wish that Spelljammer and Planescape would just fucking replace the... You know what? That's another rant. We're talking about Thrycreen. Mm. Um, these guys actually had Spelljamming navies way, way, way back when that would wander from planetary system to planetary system, and they were known as the People of the Celestial Mantis. And their poetry and myths, even today, include incredibly detailed lore about the beginning of existence and all life. And they also tell tales of the Juna, which are the lost gods. And even now in the Spelljammer um, box set that was released, you get pictures and stuff of, of what's out there 
entire wild space, and they include images of like the corpses of dead gods, like um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, where there were nowhere, which was a giant celestial skull that they had had a, a city built inside of. Mm-hmm. Like there are dead gods, just like half rotten, floating out there, ready for people to come by and get their god powers off them. Right? Um, these guys know about that shit. The Thrykreen remember that racially. So um, from the Monster Manual. It talks about the alternative methods of communication, such as drawing pictures in sand or making pictures out of twigs or blades of grass. But why the fuck would you if you're telepathic? <laughs> so they've got a full range of emotions. It's very clear would, about that. Why would they why create would, art if they're telepathic? Well, why no, would no, they no. draw pictures the, to communicate if they're telepathic? Instead of them saying, you know, I, we should go around the mountain and then through the forest pass, they will draw it in the dirt so that you understand the map instead of just saying telepathically, let's go around the mountain and through the forest pass. What's, because it was before the tele- telepathy? No, it's the same fucking thing. Okay. Yeah, they still have the telepathy in this. There's a lot of crossing over and the two people wrote it. Yeah. 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 And they and the second and one. Nobody edited it. Like no. nobody pure edited it. Welcome to Spelljammer. Yeah. Um they do have a full range of emotions, but they're not prone to outbursts like humanoids are, which is fine. Sure, okay. Um, they kill to survive, not for sport. A lack of sleep, interestingly enough, is rumored to be why they have such short lifespans. They have a full range of emotions? Yeah. Compassion? Uh, like, they will have compassion, but it doesn't impact their decision-making. Like, this is the fucking contradiction, right? Is the fact that they have no no time for devotion or honor or... Um, yeah, they have no concept of good or evil. No, and they, and they will eat their own young. Uh, but they have a full range of human emotions. Don't worry about it. Like, I think that they can understand it and they would feel twinges of it. Like, oh, that person is openly weeping because somebody else just died. I'm a little sad. Like, I think they just don't feel it as deeply. Right. Like, they're, they're sociopaths. I'm really not. Or it's more a matter of yeah. empathy, right? They understand what it is. They don't, maybe don't necessarily... It's sympathy as opposed to empathy. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Like, I I feel bad because you feel bad, not I feel bad on your behalf. Right? Yeah. Um, in the Monster Manual, they have D8 hit dice, which goes to show that they're probably not the squishy casters. Uh, they get 40 foot movement speed. Fuck you, you don't, you get 30 feet. Um, they have telepathy out to 60 feet. Fuck you, you get 120 feet. So you get 10 foot less movement and double the telepathy. For no reason. Um, they do get bonuses to perception, stealth, and survival. That's pretty on brand for Thrykreen. There's no mention of that shit in the lore for the playable race. Um, they also have a language called Thrykreen, which I've discussed. That's not mentioned in the playable race either. You get common and one other of your choice. Which seems ridiculous. Um, also, some of- since their telepathy... They don't need to speak the same language for it to work. Yeah. Like, this, they just have to be able to speak a language. Yeah. Right? And there's a few other things out there that are like that in the Monster Manual. But it seems real powerful. Mm. Um, now, some of them can cast spells. And they all seem to be wisdom-based spellcasters. They get Mage Hand, which is invisible. Blur, magic weapon, and invisibility for self only. In their monster stat block... This is stuff I'd be looking at as a player to thematically stay on on task. Um, they get a poisonous bite in the monster manual. You don't. Um, and there's actually information on the Githka and Chetkchka. Jesus fuck. Um, in the monster manual, there's not anywhere else. Um, which is odd considering these are like lineage specific weapons that you get and they don't tell you anything about them. So flip to the monster manual. Um, the Githka is essentially a D8 weapon. It does one D8. 
plus whatever your mods are when you hit, it's a melee weapon. Um, I would say it's probably finesse, or uh, but not light, just based on the fact that it's a fucking Darth Maul spear, right? Like, you need dex to be able to use mm-hmm. it. Um, the Chachkas, fuck off, have a... 30-foot range um, or uh, up to 120 feet with um, disadvantage because you throw them and they do D6 plus whatever your modifier is because you've thrown it. Which is better than a lot of the thrown weapons, which are usually D4s. Mm -hmm. Or just one if you're using a sling. As far as the bonuses and mechanics go for the playable race or the lineage, you do the whole ability score thing, two and one and one another, or one in three. Uh, Your creature type is a monstrosity for no fucking reason. Your small or medium for no fucking reason. And your speed is 30 feet. Although I feel like you should have more than that. Mm. Um, There's also a uh, standing leap ability that they get uh, when they're monsters. You don't get that as a player. Even though you've got these really cool, weird legs. Uh, You get 60 feet of dark vision and it operates as regular dark vision. It does mention here that your secondary arms are slightly smaller now. They're not, I said T-Rex arms earlier. They're not quite T-Rex. They're just undersized. Completely fully developed. Um, but they can't wield weapons. They can manipulate an object, open or close a door or a container, pick up or set down a tiny object, um, uh, and they can only wield light weapons. So if it has a light property to them. I would say this would be really fucking useful for your druid. They're holding a druidic focus in one hand, and a shield and a, and a couple of light weapons in other hands. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you're not worried so much about not having enough hands to do enough things. So Yeah. Uh, you get sleepless, which uh, you don't require sleep and can remain conscious during a long rest. Uh, you have to refrain from strenuous activity uh, to gain the benefit of the rest, which means you don't even have to sit still and motionless. You can still do little things, like you can write in a journal, or uh, and it still counts towards your long rest. You just do not sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, your telepathy says, uh, we covered this, um, you have to uh, magically, sorry, th- there's a contradiction right in the fucking wording. It, I'm going to read this out loud. Without the assistance of magic, you can't speak um, non-Thrykreen languages you know. Which means that I guess with magic, you can't. You could speak like if someone casts tongues, mm. even though you don't have a fucking tongue. Anyways, um, you have to magically ability. You have the magic ability to transmit your thoughts mentally to only willing creatures that you can see within 120 feet of yourself. So that's the limitation on it. Yeah. Um, it has you're, to be willing. Yeah, and it creates a telepathic link. It does not say uh, how many people you can connect to at a time. Mm. So you could, in theory, connect to everyone if they were a crowd all the way around you, mm. which is fucking weird. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like it's supposed to be implied in that. Implied what? That you can just psychically connect to... to, to the own, like, it, there's a limit to it, right? Like, you can't make a link to, like, thousands of people. But like in a stadium, so you can give them all a speech at the same time. But I right? think imagine it, there's like a certain level of uh, like difficulty to hone in on yeah. some. Like uh, mind flayers do, they can do like, or I think the elder brain can do one at a time. Right? Yeah. So uh, rules as written, uh, it's everybody. It is everybody in a 120-foot radius, which is like, if they all pack in nice and tight, that's 1,440 people. Yeah. If I'm, And I think my math is wrong. Probably more wrong. if it's small creatures. More if it's small creatures. Even more if it's tiny creatures. Yeah. And if they can fly, shit, we're getting cubic on this shit now. Um, and again, like I said before, your language is you can speak, read, and write common. It says you can speak, read, and write common. 
So now I can fucking speak Conan. Yeah. No peer review on this. Yeah. They just pump this book out. Pretty much. So um, I'm going to lean into the fact that I can't. I'm going to assume that I have no tongue. It's just mandibles. I'm going to make clicking noises, maybe the odd whistle mm-hmm. um, or creaking noise. And I'm going to rub my antenna together provocatively to, to, as, you know, Italians use hand motions, right? So <laughs> so that's that's where I'm coming from. Okay, right. Um <laughs> So, let's roll initiative and go through the things. Yay! Fuck, that was a long one. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of fucking info on them, right? Well, it was important to know, even if it was making his mad. I got 11. Nine. I got a one. So, Terry. Uh, A plot hook, I think. Or a quest. Oh, quest for these guys. Some for these guys. Like, it's hard baked in that they don't quest. But if they do... They will quest, but they don't quest. That's what I mean. It's so tough. But because they're nomadic, the quest, as boring as it seems, would be, you know, that they have come across this party of adventurers and they have decided, oh, you must be you must be good hunters. It makes sense for me to stay with you, even though... There's a there's a throwaway line in the book that says that, that if they team up with other people, they will then consider them their new pack. Right. Mm. So, assuming that there is a pack leader or your party face, the fucking bard will be the the party leader, and then they will just follow whatever that person says. Yeah. Right. But it's also tough to come up with a quest because, you know, with like with every quest, there's a, there's like something you're going against, and there's a ticking clock, and there's whatever. and stuff. But they don't uh, lean into any of that. No. You know, mm-hmm. it's purely survival, and I don't really have any desires or emotions, or I understand emotions, but... So the only quest that makes sense for me is that they've come across these this group of adventurers, and it's just logical to survive with them. It... And, and how far, even to um, expand on that, then you're kind of moving away from the law in yeah. a way. You're, you're, you know. Well, everybody does the My Precious Character anyway, so we're, you're all going to break the rules regardless. Yeah. But, like, for fuck's sakes. If you're going to build lore, make it something usable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so here's my take on this is that you know we are talking about spell jammer so i don't think a lot of the lore here like they only spend their time on planes really is well that, that's a all the part shit, of this that's still all the shit like there's very fucking little in the spell jammer lore that says they are on spell jamming ships yeah but it also doesn't say that it's not right like i think that was the whole idea between the new monster manuals and this and how fucking vague they are in all of their yeah, descriptions you can, you right plunk it in wherever you want yeah and you can do whatever you want with it so i mean they're they are still in space still have a seafaring navy that's going around spacefaring i guess yeah what? yeah and, and like sure sure and maybe maybe that's the plot hook they're looking for the old gods or for the for the lost gods yeah they, they like that's my thing is they can learn it says in in some of the other lore that they have learned from nearby settlements about other gods that they could worship instead and they'll become clerics of these gods. Maybe that maybe they're looking for the Juna, the the lost mm-hmm. god. That's my plot hook as a DM for you're gonna play a Thrykrine. Here, let's dig into this. As a player, that's gonna I might be a Thrykrine cleric, especially because the cleric that's like, oh, there's nothing I could do, he died. I'm going to take the torso to eat. Who wants a leg? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so I have two ideas for quest ideas. Um, one, I'm thinking kind of like a biblical plague kind of thing, where they roll in to town and just start 
fucking eating everybody's cattle and livestock and Plucking just locusts. Yeah, just f- making it famine all over the planet because they were trying to weaken it. They so their evasion the force comes in afterwards, or a predator style thing because it does say they're hunters, right? So I was thinking about predator. Oh, when I was doing yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Like you got a MacGuffin, you got to go to this jungle kind of thing, and then really like go into the horror and like how scary it would be sneaking through this jungle with a bunch of essentially invisible enemies that are like hiding in the bushes and you just hear clicking in the... And in previous editions, they could cast invisibility on themselves, so that's fun. They can't anymore. Yeah. Uh, Or the the spellcasters can, but they're very few and far between. But fuck, I'll do that. That's a great plot hook. You go to this crystal sphere in Spelljammer and there's just a bunch of invisible Thrycreen. Actually, that's really cool. Um, Yeah, I don't know. For my, my... plot hook my quest on this is is going to be tied to the fact that there is a great evil dear dm tell us what that evil is there is a great evil that threatens my pack i have been sent to learn as much as i can about it and see if i can stop it with other people besides my pack you guys all seem to be going to that tomb of annihilation or that thunder of the storm kings or whatever the fuck it is that the so here i am i'm here to to learn so I can report back and maybe we'll get Thrycreen NPCs three quarters of the way through this fucking adventure. Sure. Uh, Role-playing next, hey? I think this is actually a really good uh, player character for a more experienced player to play to keep the party progressing the story forward because they're nomadic, they're loyal to their group, and it's all about uh, survival and logical decisions. They're not going to be distracted by stupid shit. It's, hey, remember, we, we're supposed to be doing this and we should go in this direction. It means that they'll also be very, um, you can play them as very loyal or more, I would not loyal, I'd say more helpful, right, in certain situations in keeping it moving forwards and not letting them get distracted by fucking burning the tavern down or some shit. Yeah, I really like these guys for sidekicks. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So the, the NPC that levels up with the party and stuff, that will keep them fucking on task. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I like that. I, I don't know. I do. I don't really like them the way they're written. I don't think they would me- mesh well with a party. I think they're if you if you're playing it to how they are written and their lack of emotionality and lack of general caring, right, for anything that's not a hunt, it's just they're almost more robotic than the auto gnomes. Yeah, yeah. they are. Um, yeah, I find it difficult to honestly. I think that. Uh, I, if I want to play this and I'm going to play with a bunch of people that have never played or don't have access to spell jam, I'm going to come to the table and be like, can I use this playable race for me? And the DM says, yes. Um, I'm going to just click clack and rub my antennas at people and draw in the dirt for about seven or eight levels before I finally telepathically communicate with them. <clears throat> because it just, why would I waste the mental energy on that shit? Yeah. Right. It's not like I get to nap later. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you have? Exploration. Yeah, I think uh, I like the idea of it being a more experienced player. And we're thinking Druid Ranger, something like that, right? So yeah. I'm leaning into like... Rogue Monk, right? Like, yeah, yeah. But I'd be leaning into like survival and nature. And I would be doing it as a more experienced player because I know that those are the skills that I can roll, which makes it obvious how we progress this thing. You know, you're finding the trail with survival. You're doing whatever. And it's like, it makes it obvious if you're working with junior players. Hey, follow the breadcrumbs. We're going this way. Sorry, there's one thing.
thing that I skipped over, and I should I should bring it up now. They have the chameleon carapace, which is when you aren't wearing armor, you have an AC of thirteen plus your Dex mod. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. So yeah, like barbarian armor. monk, yeah, yeah, right. Um, as an action, you can change the color of your carapace to match the color and texture of your surroundings, giving you advantage on stealth checks made to hide in those surroundings. Okay, that'll so, come up for the next part. Well, yeah. I, yeah, I guess that'll be useful for exploration as well. Is yeah. Like, now you're really ranger and roguish, right? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The pass without trace and all that crazy stealth shit is ramped up to an even higher degree now, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think honestly that is their only useful skill in terms of exploration, right? They, they have no social. I mean, the telepathy, but I mean, has to be willing creatures. Like yeah, you're not, you're not eavesdropping. On and people. just because you can talk to them doesn't mean they can talk back either. That's right. So, uh, I, I, yeah, it's. I don't think they have much in terms of exploration and clues. Um, I will say this: with the telepathy, you can talk to others. That means that as you guys are doing your sneaky you know, heist um, through the dungeon, you're avoiding guards and shit. You can be the one that's passing messages. It's acting as a general to everybody else without having to make noise. You're no longer worrying about what's my word count in message or any of that shit, right? Like you can Mm -hmm. just, um, the rogue is over here. The paladin is still waiting for that guard to pass before he moves in his heavy boots. Right. Right. Like, and you can, as long as you can, and you can blend in too. You can get right in the middle of it and stealth against the wall. I can see absolutely fucking everything and I will communicate for everybody. You become this little telepathic node that, that this hub for everybody to connect to. That, that's kind of neat. I don't think that's going to come up super often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not unless you're building a campaign that way. Yeah. It's one of those things that your, your DM is rewarding your choice of whatever, right? And finding a use for you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say this though for exploration. Honestly, the DM, okay, so there are a handful of playable races. I don't know if you guys know about them because you're not on a whole lot of the race episodes, but um, that level up at level five. At level five, this fucking thing. Yeah, happens. yeah, you get more spells. Like some of them, that the Verdan with... suddenly grows from small to medium size the moment they hit level five. Like there's some things that do cool shit like that. I would give them standing leap at level five. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. Give them the thing out of the monster manual. That's fun. It's interesting. And these guys aren't super powered, mm. so that's not going to totally fuck up your your campaign. Yeah. Combat. Okay, yeah. I mean, there wasn't too much that was standing out like a crazy obvious thing. I mean, the fact that they're what you just described a moment ago, Adam, that gives them uh, advantage on the stealth checks and stuff. Oh, yeah, the chameleon shit. Yeah, that's okay. Well, now that makes sense to do something like a rogue because or then an assassin sneak attack, right? You can give yourself advantage um, if you are hidden, right? Yeah. So, mm. Um, so if you combine that with the fact that, um, you know, you're likely going to be in a position where, especially because of the telepathy thing, where you can kind of map out the battlefield before anybody else gets there in a lot of detail, the, the, you know, the caster, this kind of wand, this, you know, spell pouches, whatever, whatever, everything, everything that people need to know. Um, so that you're not doing that thing of trying to pass messages in the middle of the combat using your interactions on stuff. You can get most of that out of the way early and then at least have at least one character get uh, a surprise condition from you know. It also helps you have dark vision, right? That that's another thing that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, a lot of it is going to be uh, I, that ability. I think is going to be a large part of the stuff that you would do right before combat. I think um, would be what I would lean into. Yeah. Oh, total sidebar. You may be the only one that is awake and moving around, and you may have telepathy, but you have to be able to see the others to wake them. 
If they're intense, you still have to make noise to wake them. You can't just telepathically wake up other people if you can't lay your eyes on them. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, combat, I mean, the unarmored thing is pretty good that we talked about earlier. But, I mean, the forearms can be hugely advantageous in combat, right? So, especially if you're taking something like a fighter um, and, you know, you've got two swords in each, or a sword in each hand, and then you also have two crossbows in your little hands. Yeah. And then you're doing, fuck, I don't know how many attacks you can do in a single round. With, as a, doing as all a fighter, depends on what level you are. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, the rogue also has that ability where they ha- uh, they can shoot a crossbow with a bonus action. A light crossbow. Hand crossbow. Is that a rogue thing, or is that is that the crossbow expert? It like, might be crossbow expert. Crossbow expert is you do not get disadvantage within five feet, and you ignore the loading property. That's what it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. There is some, there's a rogue-ish thing. Yeah, I, I know you're talking about Kyle. I've seen that. I'm trying to remember if that... What I think it's crossbow it. expert. Um, yeah look as far as combat goes i want to lean into the unique weapons that they use we do have stats over in the monster manual for them so i'm gonna do that i just think that's more interesting to to keep it flavorful um and also if i'm not using a spellcasting focus i can wield the two-handed big ass weapon as well as be throwing out like i can hold the range ones in my hands and not have to stow uh and sheath or put away my main combat i can go melee to ranged seamlessly yeah so all right so before we wrap this episode up let's cut to our last ad break if you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community you can reach us on facebook and instagram or on our subreddit r slash it's a mimic Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. Do you guys have anything that really sticks out in your head as being like the single best synergy with a class for your race? Let's roll initiative on this. 19. 14. I got a two. I just... Can't fucking roll tonight. All right, Kyle. Uh, with the plasmoids. Yeah, monk. I would definitely go with a monk, so I could take full advantage of the amorphous ability and do a bunch of grapple and not have to worry about dropping stuff. I feel like I just covered a fucking subclass, like within the last twenty episodes. That was an ooze-based subclass. Oh, I've heard about that. Uh, I'm trying to remember now what yeah. that was. I think it was like a cleric of the ooze or a dru- ooze druid. Uh. Druid. Hold on. Let, uh, let, let me let me think about it. I think Terry, you you were next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like Kyle, you said barbarian for autonome, and I feel like that does make sense. Uh, you know what? I would maybe go fighter as well. Um, you know the fact that you can add that for built for success, you can add a d4 to one attack roll. You know that's gonna come in handy with the multiple attacks where it is important for you to land those attacks as a, if you're playing like a champion fighter that you're relying on that so it's good to have a extra chance of that of that working um yeah i'm thinking fighter or barbarian for all don't know i like the idea of kill mode activated yeah and barbarian right yeah yeah and then just the healing abilities that it has and you know the uh the skill where you can add a d4 which is basically you just have bless on command. Yeah. And the, or so guidance. The, yeah, guidance the fact on that there's two ways you can be healed. So regular healing magic or mending as well. Mm. Um, and and you're mending is a cantrip. So it doesn't even take a spell slot yeah. to heal you. 
That's what it was. It was the Aberrant Mind Sorcerer. Okay. The Aberrant Mind Sorcerer has a thing at level 14. It's called Revelation in Flesh. As a bonus action, you can spend some sorcery points to transform your body for 10 minutes. Um, and then you get a bunch of different options about what you can do. Um as a result, and it's like slimy, oozy shit. Yeah, that's pretty good. You can spend one sorcery point per and have them all. Can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that one. That one feels good for plasmoids. I think a Gloomstalker Ranger for a Thrycreen. Okay, yeah, right. You get a lot of that, like from the darkness level shit, and right. being able to get all of these special things. Like if you go first on your turn, you get this and this and this, and like. And I feel like I'm gonna take the alert feat as yeah. well. Yeah, Just, that makes sense. I'm going to lean into the hunter side of that mentality. Mm. Um, yeah, like, there's not a whole lot of arcane shit going on in this episode. Hey? Right. Yeah. Not, not a lot of wizards or bards. Uh, the fucking plasmoid bard of eloquence is hilariously annoying. It may be an NPC, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't do that as a player. Uh, I was actually thinking about a bard for the auto gnome, and it's basically it was it was created auto tune. It's a fucking it's a fucking jukebox, isn't it? <laughs> Cl- close. So it um it was originally created to play in a band uh, in its master's restaurant uh, that was a hot spot for prize gamblers, and he just got really sick of playing. The same crappy music all day, and he needed to get out. He needed creative freedom for, you know, his art. And his name? Cellars E. Cetius. Fuck off. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Fucking hell. He left us hanging a while for that one. God damn it. Okay. On that bombshell, Kyle. Get us out of this thing. So, folks, that is all for our discussion today on autonomes, plasmoids, and thrycreen. Make sure you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we will have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be exploring phenomenal cosmic power uh-huh. and itty-bitty living spaces. You know, you know what that means. I understood that reference. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website. That's www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. This episode and others can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. I like the whole judo concept concept of you push, I pull. If that's the momentum that you want, I'll try and lean into that's that the name of my for sex you. Yeah. You push, <laughs> I pull. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Fucking hell. See you next Tuesday. <laughs>